So we have been working with the Four Noble Truths, uh, this foundational teaching of Buddhist psychology. I'll just say this again because it came up um, um, in another conversation that um, some people are finding it really helpful to name it um, in that way. And for me, um, these teachings, these 2,500 year old teachings are a remarkable testament to clarity of mind of a living human being 2,500 years ago who turned his awareness inward and sought to understand what was causing suffering in his life and what relieved suffering in his life. Um, um, and then understood it at a depth that has made a difference. Um, and, and, and these teachings have been passed down this long, which is quite profound in and of itself, um, but really interesting passed down now in the time of neuroscience where we're able to start putting people in MRIs and whatnot and how congruent so many of these findings are. Um, so, so in that, and, and so that's the way I relate to these teachings. There are, there are many, many um, versions, flavors, um, um, paths of deep heart with Buddhism that are, are, are a little different than the way I relate to it, but that's how I do so the third noble truths, the four, the four noble truths are um, historically, or historically, are said to be the first teachings um, that the Buddha gave. Um, the first noble truth, there is suffering in this life. The second noble truth, there is a cause for that. And the cause is clinging. Uh, the most proximal cause, the most clearest to the closest to the surface is um, craving and clinging. The third is there's a way out and the fourth is a path. And so we have finally gotten to the third noble truth um, that there is a way out. And I wanna start with a um, story. I love my stories. This is another one that I've known for years and I'm not sure I have actually ever shared. Um, uh, and part of that Part of that is that it took a long time before this story finally landed all the way for me. Um, so in the story, another monk story, monk and um, this time an army general. In, in medieval Japan, during a time of particular violence and turmoil, there was an advancing army known for its, its ruthlessness, its savagery. Um, and so a village um, finding out that the army was coming to the village, um, everyone fled, uh, except the old Zen monk um, at the temple. So when the army arrived and the general found out that one person had actually remained this monk, um, he was curious to know what kind of man this monk was that would stay. So he went to, to see the monk for himself. Upon meeting the monk, he was flabbergasted in not a good way. 
to find that the monk was not submissive, not um, deferent, uh, didn't offer deference to the general in the way the general had come to expect from everyone that he had quote unquote conquered. So the, the monk burst into anger, reached for, I mean, excuse me, the general <laughs> burst into anger, reached for his sword and um, um, shouted, uh, you fool, don't you realize you are standing before a man who could run you through without blinking an eye? The monk, totally unmoved, totally calmly looked at the general and said, and do you realize you're standing before a man who can be run through without blinking an eye? At which point the general backed down. I've always liked this story. It's a cool story. It um, um, has stayed with me uh, all these years, but I never, I have to say, I never thought much about it um, beyond that. And then one day, I don't really know what was going on. I don't remember, but I remember the moment. Something brought the story to mind. And for whatever reason in that moment, I suddenly got it. I mean, I like I suddenly heard the story in a totally deeper way of this monk having an absolute true life death moment. Not, not a figure in a story, but a human being facing um, likely death in that moment and being able to meet the moment with no reactivity, no clinging, no grasping after anything, just total, profoundly peaceful presence. And able to be with that present moment in a way that was open, trusting, accepting, and totally strong. That's kind of a remarkable moment um, to contemplate. And I just have to say um, the word trusting. It wasn't that he trusted that his grounded presence would turn the, the general away. That wasn't it at all. It was that he was completely in tune with an essence of life that was really larger than any personal life story. And it was an essence that was absolutely untouched by whether or not the general killed him. And he completely knew that. That's a sort of unfathomable freedom. And I say the word unfathomable, and I instantly bring to mind examples that I have known of where this is a capacity of us being human. You know, if you just think back to just remarkable moments in the civil rights movement, uh, Gandhi obviously was able to face many, many moments um, with that sort of, of unfathomable freedom. Uh, 
there is uh, there have been people I have met in my life that I could feel a grounded, palpable presence um, from them that was different. And then that, that let me know something about where this is possible. So this is the third noble truth that there is a freedom possible from suffering right in the heart of the difficult conditions, just as they are. It's not a promise of freedom to escape the conditions of suffering. That's not what it is about at all. It's saying that there exists a freedom right within the conditions, just as they are. So I've been drawing from Philip Moffat's book, uh, Dancing with Life. Uh, And again, I strongly recommend this book if you want a deeper dive into these four noble truths. Um, Beautiful, beautiful book. But I like the way he talks about this third noble truth. So I'm just going to share his words. And so what he's naming is kind of the ultimate realization in this moment of this third noble truth if we have um, totally realized it. He says, imagine your mind totally free of craving, ill will and delusion. It is clear, alert and unaffected by external and internal conditions, whether pleasant or unpleasant. This liberated mind state is what comes with the realization of the third noble truth. The third noble truth is asking you to reflect on the possibility that freedom through cessation of grasping, remember that's the second noble truth, is achievable. When there is cessation, your mind no longer burns in response to the arising of pleasant and unpleasant in your life. It isn't reactive or controlled by what you like or dislike. In your daily reality, your mind exists in a constant state of choiceless awareness. That term choiceless awareness is talking about that completely open, available, responsive, non-judging, clear, compassionate, like deepest heart of what we mean when we're pointing to with mindfulness and mindful awareness. In your daily reality, your mind exists in a constant state of choiceless awareness. Your mind is willing to be with what is true in the moment and isn't disturbed by it. From this place of non-attachment, you are free to respond to the moment in a manner that is aligned with your values and reflects your deepest wisdom. So notice how that state has nothing to do with indifference or non-caring. As he says, in that state, there's absolutely compassion, caring, loving. It's just that we don't take the story so personally. Uh, And then he says that that before we reach kind of that ultimate state, we can find little moments of this already in our life. 
And it's important to kind of notice those foretastes of that um, and to, to feel what they, what they are like, what that temporary state of non-clinging is like for you. But even, so we'll come back to the foretaste, but um, I just think it's so useful to hear kind of the ultimate promise of this um, third noble truth. Uh, so he says, when you reach the stage of total cessation, choiceless awareness is no longer just a temporary state, it becomes the essence of your being. You are not controlled by any external conditions nor does the, your mind create unwholesome states, not even brief ones. You are unaffected by threats or loss to your well-being and mortality. That's the monk in the story. The monk that had the wisdom, clarity, strength of understanding to know an essence that was larger than anything the general could do in that moment. He really knew a peace that extended beyond the confines of his personal life. So Philip Moffat um, goes on and makes sure that people don't misunderstand. It's not that if we ever like reach this place of total cessation, and of course y'all probably know the other word in the Buddhist tradition for that, nirvana. Like, I mean, if you actually reach that place, um, it doesn't mean that your body doesn't get sick, that there that there's not um, um, uh, the possibility of getting hurt in this life. It's nothing, nothing to do with that. The physical realm, just as it is, still continues with its coherency and consistency, um, continues to create the conditions that, that um, give rise to dukkha, the first noble truth, that there is suffering, that there is this unsatisfactory in life all of those conditions still exist, are still manifesting. Um, but what he says is, the difference is that the mind is unperturbed by the perturbations of life. I'm not sure how to say that word, but it's a great sentence. The difference is the mind is unperturbed by the perturbations of life. That's a really profoundly beautiful promise. And one thing that I always have loved about Buddhist, the teaching to Buddhist psychology is it never says, you need to believe this. You need to accept this. The invitation with all of these teachings is always um, try them out for yourself. This is what I have found, um, or this is what others have found. Um, but you have to, for your own self, take this on if you're interested and learn what's useful, uh, what has value, what has meaning for you in your own life. So the way we do that is by beginning to explore. Are there moments that we actually know something about a different kind of freedom that's possible right in the heart of our own suffering? right in the, in the heat of, of the moment, that we know there's a way to stand in that moment that changes things, 
that makes something different. It doesn't magic wand make everything go away. It's just there's a different way to be with it that matters. That's what Philip Moffat calls these foretastes um, um, of the third noble truth. So I thought I would share um, just one um, small, well, small, <laughs> wasn't in my life, but it's not in the scheme of things. It's not one of those that has a large amount of meaning, but in my life, it was profoundly important um, um, foretaste, very, very, very useful in finding a different kind of freedom in my life. Um, and it's in complete alignment with these teachings that this is the direction towards wisdom and freedom. So um, most of y'all know I used to be a family practice physician. Um, I went into medicine with a very clear intention of um, kind of a wholesome wanting to, to um, give from my heart and my professional life. Um, what I also know now is that Unknown to me, there was another part of me becoming an MD, a physician, that was absolutely about a sort of craving um, for a kind of um, societal acceptability, a sort of what will allow me to feel good enough in society that I'm okay. I had no idea that was part of what led me into being a physician until I tried to walk away from being a physician. It took me five years. And a lot of that was just practical trans transition. Um, but a lot of that was, oh my gosh, how can I face the world with what I then understood was kind of this cloak of acceptability I have around myself? really felt like I was asking myself to go to the grocery store necking. <laughs> you know, if I wasn't going to the grocery store as a physician and saw someone who knew me, what would they, you know, what would they think I was? <laughs> um, I really struggled with this. And it bugged me to no end because I really didn't think I was the kind of person who would struggle with this. But the, the, you know, the, the um, harsh reality was I was. I was caught up with it. This is the second noble truth. Um, the craving for existence, for a kind of acceptability, for a becoming. Um, there it was. And there was this really sweet moment that I remember that, that moment where after working, 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 working with how do I leave this? 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 Or suddenly the story flipped and I got that, oh, it's not how do I leave this? It's can I taste the freedom offered to my life by leaving this? That was just such a huge moment. It was this like instantly lightening of the load. And I suddenly realized that I'd been hauling this extra baggage, um, unneeded extra baggage um, with me everywhere. <laughs> um, and what a joy it would be to be free of, of needing that cloak that was weighing me down.
That's the foretaste of the third noble truth, that there is a relief in letting go of clinging that's possible for us. That moment didn't make it all vanish, but that moment changed everything about how I was ready to release it. Um, it still needed work. Um, but that's kind of what this, this, this teaching is pointing to. Where do we know small tastes of this kind of freedom? And what does it take to open? And when we, let me rephrase that, when we open in this way, what do we find happens in our life for us? So I want to end um, today's part with a quote from Ajahn Sumedho. Um, he's a American Buddhist monk in the Thai forest tradition. Um, he says this about the third noble truth. Do not feel as though you have to embrace any particular teaching teacher's interpretation of total cessation. Instead, let it be an open question, a mystery, and live the question. What is possible in the way of freedom for me right now, in this moment, just as I am? So let's pause here for a moment. Thank you.